Uh, thank you all coming out tonight. Great to have people to share with. I know you'll be blessed, and uh, and no doubt as I as I share with you tonight, you'll think of someone that needs to hear this. It's always the way it is, and it was always someone needs to hear this, and uh, maybe you need to hear it. <laughs> maybe God brought you along tonight just so you could hear it. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the meeting, we'll just have an old call opportunity to pray for people and and minister to people, and uh, just to see what God will do. And so I, I can feel you getting tense a bit now. It's just relax, you know. This is going to be, this is okay. You know, we're in the household of God. We can enjoy God and enjoy Him together. And uh, I really love the presence of God. I love His Spirit moving. And I just want to pray for a few people first before we get started. And because uh, sometimes you kind of get it all fixed, you know. And because we get known, I cast out demons. Everyone goes, ooh. <laughs> you know, you go up and shake someone's hand, and I think he's looking into me. Actually, I'm not at all. And I don't go around thinking that, you know, and, and because of moving the prophetic, people think, oh, he can see everything. You know, but, but the reality is I can't. And uh, it's like the woman at the well, you know, Jesus just had one word of knowledge, but she said, he knows everything, you know. But actually, he, he just shared one little thing with her, you know, just living with a guy and being there like that for five years. And that was enough to blow her out of the water. He knows everything. He told me everything. But, uh, but actually, it's just God coming into people's lives. It's all about God connecting, touching lives. And uh, I'd hope you just uh, open your heart for what God may want to do in you tonight and not just think of someone who should be here to hear it. You can just get them a CD if they need that. But let God touch you tonight and speak into your heart and your life. And let him bring some change and shift to you. And uh, so I want to just pray for a few people and just uh, speak over their lives. Because this time when I start to say that, some people are <laughs> keep away. Don't come near me, you know, and others say, me, 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 you know. <laughs> and it's me, you know, that's right. And uh, it may help you to know I can feel that. <laughs> and I don't take any notice of it. <laughs> it's uh, really uh, the gift of prophecy is to help us. It's to encourage us. It's always to uplift us. And uh, the word of prophecy is never to condemn, rebuke. It's always to bring God near to us and to speak encouragement into our life. And God's got something for you to accomplish with your life. And the prophetic word helps lift your vision and make you where God is near to you. Prophetic word can work in all kinds of ways. It can work to un unravel our destiny so we begin to be confirmed in what God called us to do. It can bring God alongside us right where we are that he understands and knows what we're walking through and what we're facing, uh, or it can actually uncover where our life is held blocked and just bring it up to the surface so we can be set free. Prophetic gifts are wonderful gifts. And get this, all may prophesy. Well, I hope we can teach you about how to do this one day. And uh, but in the meantime, I'll just get to pray for a few people. How about that? And I won't stop here. It's too far away from me. I'll just come down. And uh, just uh, as the Holy Spirit just uh, shows me, this lady here, can I just pray for you? Just come. Yeah, please come. That's right, just come over here, just come and stand here. That's right. God bless you. What's your name? Shirley. Shirley, that's yes. great. Well, just close your eyes, Shirley. Father, I just thank you for Shirley. I pray, Lord, for your presence, anointing to flow upon her life today. Lord, just touch her, touch her. What I see is that you, you're a person who loves to pray. You, you just love prayer. You're loving in the presence of God. You've got this deep desire for God and deep desire to serve God. And so I see you... Uh, wherever you go, you just like to serve people and help people. You, you never push yourself forward. You never kind of advance or make yourself right to the front. But rather, you just love, can I help? It's, it's in your heart to help. 
And God wants you to know that he sees what you do. There's many things you do in the house. There's things you do outside. There's things you do for people, and God sees them. And uh, in this recent season, there's been a number of areas you've been reaching out to the Lord. One specific area you've been reaching out is that uh, his anointing would flow through you to help others. That when you work with people or talk with people, that you would uh, know what is going on and be able to have a word from God to encourage them. And in just a moment, as I just reach out to the Lord, his anointing's going to come on you. You're going to start to find a release of prophetic words. Uh, already you, you see things at time to time. You, God gives you visions. But God's wanting to lift that up to another level completely. He's wanting you to be able to uh, see much more clearly, much more sharply, and to have a word in season for people. And uh, I just feel God's presence is coming around you now. Lord, just come upon her. Let your presence just fall on her. In Jesus' mighty name. Ministry was never meant to be hard. It was meant to be easy. Can I pray for this lady here? Can I pray for you? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. What's your name? Kimmy. Okay, then. Lord, I just pray you would just bless her and touch her tonight. Just help her. Lord, you know exactly where she is in her life, exactly what she's facing. Well, the Lord shows me like a picture of a boat in the middle of a storm. And it's like you're in that boat and you're in that storm. It's been like that for some time. And you know, when the disciples were in the boat, they kind of were really fearful. All they could see was the storm. And they overlooked completely that Jesus was with them. They overlooked completely he had given them an assignment. And he's not going to fail in the assignment and have a sinking boat. He's going to get them to where he wants them to get. And, but in the middle of the storm, fear overcame them. And so they began to cry out, and it seemed like God didn't care. And that's actually the story where you've been. It seems like you're in a boat in the middle of a storm, and all you look around, the storm is all around, and it feels overwhelming for you. And God wants you to know you are not alone. You are not alone in the storm. He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. In the past in your life, you've had important people in your life just walk away from you. You've had people that meant something to you abandon you. There's been a huge uh, sense in your life that you're on your own. And God wants you to know tonight you're not on your own. He wants you to know he is with you. All you have to do is reach out to him, and he will start to comfort you and touch you. That's it. There it is. presence of God is coming on you now. There it is. Touch you, Lord. Touch you, Lord. Right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. So it's always quite, I always get touched when I see God ministering to people like this because you, you get to know people. <laughs> you get to know people real well as you hear what God has to say. Can I pray for you? That's right. What's your name? It's Linda. Linda. Okay, Linda. Lord, touch Linda today. Lord, just bless her. Pour out your spirit upon her. Well, you, you are just passionate for life. <laughs> I just see you right out there. Uh, you love to talk, engage people, and connect with people. In fact, you just got all these people you connect with and, and engage with and relate with. But in the midst of it all, God is wanting to deepen the roots in your life, to deepen your connection to him so you have a deeper security in who you are and what you're called to do. And uh, God is establishing in you a whole new awareness of his love for you. He wants to bring a greater level of open heaven around you so that you become very aware he's with you. And I see you becoming 
far more focused and far more directed. Uh, I see the Lord speaking into your life some clarity for this next season in your life. You're, you're in a process and a season of transitional change. Things are changing in your life. Natural things are changing, but also spiritual things are changing too. And God wants you to have a uh, to be aware that uh, He is working in your life a deeper awareness of His love, deep awareness of His presence, and a deeper confidence. I see you as an encourager. I see you as a gatherer. I see you out where people are, speaking to them, encouraging them, drawing them into Christ. And God's going to give you a heart to hear and listen to people, hear the cries of their heart, and touch their lives. Lord, just pour your spirit upon her. Touch your Lord, just like that. Praise the Lord. I can see some already freezing up. Don't come near me. <laughs> so I want to share a word of God and ministers and people, but... Uh, the end, we'll just give an opportunity for people who'd like to be prayed for to come up and uh, for God to touch your life. Well, can I just pray for you? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> What's your name? Anne. Anne, that's great. Anne. Thank you, Lord, for Anne. Lord, bless Anne today. Lord, just touch her life. Touch her. Anoint her. Anoint her. Oh, I see leadership in your life. I see God's called you to leadership. You've got a really strong spirit and a strong focus in your life. You're a person with strong boundaries. You know who you are and what you want and what you don't want. You're quite clear and quite defined in your boundaries. And people don't understand that. They, they could think at times that perhaps you're not caring or loving like others are, but you just know where the boundaries are and you're quite firm in your convictions. And God's raising up as a leader to train others, to develop others. I see people around you. You, you have this real love for the Word of God, love for the principles of God, love for the ways of God. And I see that you're in a process or a place right now where you're, you're about to shift in responsibility and assignment. You've been willing to, to serve in, in all kinds of different areas. In fact, when there's anything on, you're to be seen serving. You're there behind. But that God is raising you up into a role where you influence people, lead people. I see around your life a, a strong prophetic ministry. You just see things black and white. You see them quite clearly. And uh, God is going to cause you to uh, learn how to minister and to flow and to speak his word in a way that lifts people up out of where they are and inspires them and moves them forward. And uh, you're not one to kind of push yourself forward. You'd rather sort of actually hold back and stay back. And that, that's, there's a reason for that. And that's because of where you come from and some of the things you've been through. So you would kind of rather hide in the background and not, not be seen, just serve behind the scenes. And that has to do with how you see yourself. And that has to do with the way words were spoken over you and things that were said many years ago. But God says he sees you as a beautiful daughter. He sees you as a leader. And he sees you able to arise and able to stand before people. Don't fear what people have to say but rather arise and stand in his strength. He's going to promote and enlarge you, and you'll, you'll, be, you'll have people you train to do what you used to do. You've served in lots of different ways, but you'll be a trainer of service, and you'll be one who speaks into their life. And I see the prophetic anointing of the Spirit of God just coming on your life in a greater dimension. Father, touch you because you're quite soft in your spirit. There's two things I want to do now. I just want to pray to break words spoken over you that limited you and to release just the presence of God around your life, just to lift you to a whole new dimension. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take authority over negative words, critical words, fault-finding words spoken over a life. I break them 
in Jesus' name. I break the power of religious words that have judged. I break them over your life tonight. Father, just let your anointing come upon her now. Let the prophetic anointing on my life, let it just flow over here. Flow over her. Just touch her, Lord. Just pour your spirit upon her tonight. Receive in Jesus' name. As I can feel the presence of God just resting on you. Just enjoy him. As you pray, begin to expect to see things. Look to see. Look to see. Amen? God bless you. There we go. Praise God. Just pray for this guy here. Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> now, what's the other guy like? <laughs> All right, okay. I just pray you just touch him. Touch him, Lord, tonight. What's your name? You're Tyler. Tyler, that's right. That's right. Thank you, Lord, for Tyler. Father, pray you just minister him, speak to him. Well, it's like for years you felt like you'd been pushed into a box, box of what people expected of you. It's kind of like you're pushed in a box and you've lived almost like you've been in a prison house of limitations. God said no limitations in him. He wants to break you out of the box of thoughts and ways of thinking about yourself. It's to do with how you see yourself, and that has to do with how people have treated you. And in your journey, you've had some major rejections, major setbacks. It's caused you to believe that you're of little value, but God says you're of great value. And he's put dreams inside you, put hopes inside you, and he wants you to learn how to stand up in who you are in him. You are not what people say about you. You are who God says you are. And uh, he sees inside you a Gideon. You know, Gideon was quite fearful, but Gideon worked. And you're a worker. You're not afraid to work hard. And Gideon was a worker, but he was, there was a timidity around his life. But the Spirit of God came around his life, and God raised him up. He began to influence many people. So one of the areas God's working and addressing in your life is your esteem. Seeing yourself as he sees you. Seeing yourself as a person of value, as a person who can accomplish things, as a person who's got God on his side. Just close your eyes and look up to the Lord. Holy Ghost, come on him. Power of God, just touch his life tonight. Fill him, Lord. Fill him with your spirit tonight. Power of God, just come around his life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Well, I better get going on to a message. <laughs> Another time we can have an evening just prophesying. I love doing that. That's always a heap of fun. And for those of you who were scared I'd come to you, you're relieved. I'm leaving you alone right now. <laughs> Uh, okay, I want you to start with me in, uh, I want you to look with me, first of all, in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. Then we're going to, we're going to go, go three places in the Bible, really. I just want to look at Malachi, I want to look at the New Testament and Old Testament. I want to share with you something that I've discovered to be such a vital uh, principle, uh, something to build into your life uh, that, that ensures uh, a realm of blessing comes over you. And if you don't build it in your life, it almost certainly results in difficulties you don't need to have. Uh, and so here it is here. First of all, I'll just get a context for it. So he says in verse, this is, these are the last words in the Old Testament. There's about a 400-year silence before God begins to speak again. And he says this, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of children to the fa their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now notice he's, he's, he's saying that there's going to be a move of the Spirit. Later on he prophesied of John that John was like Elijah or he carried that same spirit of Elijah. So when you see the ministry of John, John reached out into the nation to turn a nation away from religion and turn them to a living faith in God. And you have a look at Elijah 
Elijah came from nowhere. He was a man prepared by God, and he confronted the religious system of his day, and he challenged the nation to turn away from control and legalism and the, the abuse that had been in their day and to come into a living relationship with God. He confronted, remember, the prophets of Jezebel who had, uh, who had destroyed the prophetic flow and he called the nation back into a place of alignment with God. So notice here the unique thing he talks about. In this passage here, it describes that in the last days, there will be globally a breakdown in families that family life will break down. And he said that one of the major focus of the Spirit of God will be a work of restoring hearts. Isn't that interesting? We tend to think of all the great powers and signs and miracles, and they're wonderful and have their place. But God's concerned about the hearts of people. He's concerned that our hearts be right. The Bible doesn't say God is power. It says God is love. And his love is expressed in the way he powerfully can change lives. So power is an expression of his love. But God's nature is loving. And when we're called to relate to God, Jesus taught to relate to God as a father. But many people find that very difficult to relate to God as a father because they have issues in their heart about their natural father or their natural mother. They have unresolved conflicts that go back to family life. I was reading an article and they went into some of the prisons in the United States. And they made an offer to the, to the prisoners in one particular state. Uh, and that was they would give them a free Mother's Day card and the postage for it if they'd fill in the card and send a card to their mother. So they did that. And they had a huge number of responses. Then they uh, offered on Father's Day the same deal. And they had very little response. In other words, there was this huge issue in the hearts of young men in prison against their fathers. And this is, in other words, the relationship with a father or a mother has a significant effect on how your life runs. And a bad or broken relationship creates a damage that has a lifelong impact. We're going to see why this is, because God set a principle in place around this. So the heart of God is to reach out to whoever you are, wherever you are, and to ensure that your heart is turned to your parents and turn to your children. And we look around and we see the divorce rate is so high, just increasing. It doesn't seem to be a lot better among Christians than it is among unsaved people. And there is a reason for that. And the devastation that it creates is generational in its impact. And so we need to understand that God's concerned about the situation. Jesus came to represent what the Father looks like. If you want to know what God as a father looks like, re-look at Jesus and how he related to people. Go back through the Gospels, and instead of looking at it the way you've looked at it, begin to see him, and he's the father. He's the express image of the father. See how he connects to people. See how he connected to lepers, people who are despised and rejected. See how he relates to the woman at the well whose life is broken down with multiple marriage failures and now just living in sin with someone. And you begin to see what the Father is really like. Jesus came to make the Father known. That's right. And there's a reason for that. That is because it's in the heart of God to turn us so that there's a restoration in our family life. God wants to do this. This is part of his plan. And uh, so you notice it says he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And all it really counts is that 
when you hear God speak that your heart turns. You're not responsible for someone else's heart turning. Now, with that in mind, that not only in John's day, but also in our day and in the end times, God will be concerned about families and will work to restore families. I want to show you an important principle it, uh, that's expounded on in, in both the Old and the New Testament. So let's have a look at it in the New Testament first. You can see where it is here in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we pick it up in verse 2 and verse 3. And uh, we're going to look shortly at, a, uh, at a, a, a person or two people in the Old Testament. And one of them succeeded in this, the other one failed, and the consequences in their life. So let's have a look. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So notice now he's talking about in the context of who we are in Christ, how to live out our life. And he's saying place honor or value on your father and on your mother. And there's a reason for doing it. This is the first commandment that contains with it a promise. Promise means God guarantees that if you will do something, there will be something outflow from that. Here's what outflows. The outflow is that, here it is, it will be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Two outcomes, they go together. Well with you means relationships go better, life goes better and you may live long. Now, think about the opposite to that. If you don't honor your father and don't honor your mother, the opposite is also true that it won't go well with you and there'll be issues come up in your life that may shorten your life expectancy. In other words, illness and premature death. So this is an amazing promise here. Promise that if I will honor my parents, honor my father and mother, then there will be a blessing flow through my life continually that will be outworked in every aspect of my life. My marriage, my family, my relationships, people I relate to over me, every arena of life, this will outwork if I embrace this principle of honor, if I refuse or if I have issues that are unresolved, then the impact also will flow out into every arena of my life. Now, we've counseled and helped many people in marriages, and uh, we observed when we were doing quite a bit of this that there were two issues seemed to come up consistently as being root causes of marriage conflict and ultimately marriage breakdown. Here's what they were. Now, of course, there are lots of issues, and you towards communication and so on and, and all of those kind of things, but I observed that we could take people through marriage courses, but their marriage would only temporarily improve and often would just drop back into what it was before. And I couldn't work this out. I found it very frustrating. We'd teach people skills or whatever, but then they'd drop back. And one day I was talking to the Lord about it and saying, how come when you go through all this effort to help people, it doesn't seem to last very long? And they just seem to drift back into old patterns. And he said very simply this, because you have failed to address the spiritual structures and the heart issues that caused the problems in the first place. Unless you deal with the demonic roots and break the strongholds, you won't get people free for long. They go back into the old ways. And he began to draw attention around this whole area of this principle of honor and dishonor. So honor your parents, it will go well for you. Now, you notice the word honor. Let's have a look at what it means to honor. We'll perhaps look at a few ways you may be able to do this. But the core thing is an issue of the heart that outworks in the way you treat and relate to your parents and then to other people. Let me give you an example. I had a young man come to me, and uh, he was having conflict with his cell group leader. 
as you tell us what the problem is. And I heard both sides of the story. And I, I said, tell me, uh, how are you getting on at work? And he said, not too good. The boss has given me a lot of hassle, and I'm in, I just don't like him. I think I'm thinking of leaving. I said, how'd you get on with the last place? Oh, I left there, had a conflict with the boss. I said, oh, really? That sounds sort of interesting. And I said, well, did you have any place you really liked? And he said, yeah, I liked being in the army. It was great. I said, wow, tell us what was great. And he told me what was great. I said, how'd you get on with the officers? He said, oh, well, they always wear a downer on me all the time. I said, isn't that interesting? I said, uh, tell me about school and how it went at school. And he said, oh, I cut out of school. You know, I didn't stick it there. The teacher's all on my back all the time. And so I, I cut out of there and just went out working. I said, isn't that interesting? How do you get on with your parents? How do you get on with your father? And he said, oh, well, he kicked me out of home. You know, I had a conflict with him. Actually, it wasn't my real father. It was my stepfather. I'm adopted. And I said, do you see a pattern in your life that you are having conflict after conflict after conflict? There is a root to this conflict. And here's what the root is. There is a deep bitter root of rejection in your life as a consequence of being adopted. You are bitter against your father and mother who adopted you without even knowing why they did this. You have projected it and are bitter against the people who loved you and took you in. And that bitterness and that dishonor is flowing out in every place you meet authorities in your life. You are having conflict and life is not going well for you. I can predict you'll have more of the same. I remember a girl recently I prayed for that was entering into a relationship with a young man and I asked why she'd broken up with him in the first place and he'd been unfaithful to her. When I checked her family background, her father also had been unfaithful. She was just repeating a family cycle. Or putting it in this way, each of these people had judged their parents for apparent or real failure and that judgment now they were reaping in their own life. Instead of bringing grace into a place of conflict, they brought judgment and bitterness, and they started to reap it in their life. And I said, here's the thing I can tell you now is going to happen. You're going to have conflicts with your children. Because what you haven't resolved, you've brought into your marriage, and now it's going to outwork in your marriage and with your children. You're just going to, this is going to keep harvesting a fruit until you resolve the issue. And so the, the issue of honor is incredibly important. And we give honor on them. To honor someone means to place a value on them, to put a value or a price. In the Old Testament, they use the word kabad, meaning glory. So in other words, when we say God has great glory, it's that same word, to put weight or value on someone. The New Testament, it's literally to put value on something. So you choose what you'll pay for an object. You know, you go down to a shop, it's worth what someone will pay for it. And so the value you put on it is what it's worth. So the Bible says, place value on your father and mother. Place value on them. Treat them with respect. So to honor means to treat with respect, to treat with value, to put a value on them as people. Now, of course, immediately for some of us, that'll raise some problems. You say, well, how can I treat them of value? How can I do that when you see what they did? Okay, then. Well, there are three reasons or three grounds that we put honor on people. Here's the first ground. The first kind of group of people we honor are people who achieve something great in life. So you get someone who goes to the Olympics and they win. There's, there's a huge value and honor placed on them. And it's placed on them because they've achieved something. So we honor them because they did something great. But that's not the only reason you honor people. So you may look and you see there's been massive failure 
in your parents' life, massive failure in their relationships, massive failure personally, and you say, well, I can't honor them for what they've achieved. There's all right, there's two other grounds we can honor people. Here's the second one. Second thing we can honor people is for character, not what they achieved, but the kind of person they are. So we honor people because they have shown courage in the face of adversity. And the, the media just love it. There's something in us just loves to honor people who did right, who acted valiantly, who, who showed courage when there was pressure, showed integrity when everyone else broke down. And there's also a tendency to totally despise people who in a place of trust, breach the trust and act dishonorably. So we can honor people because of what they've done, honor them because of their character, who they are. And you say, well, I can't honor my parents for either of those two because you just don't understand what they did. It's so bad. And I've heard the stories, many stories, and certainly many terrible things go on in families. It's also wonderful things. But here's the, last, here's the third one. We can honor people because of the position that they occupy. So, for example, in America, America's very well known worldwide for honoring the office of the president. There's an honor seems to be ascribed to the office, regardless of feelings about who the person is and how they're doing and whether they've got great character or chief, there's still an honor. There's a great thing in the American culture, I think, of honor. Uh, we have in our culture a huge amount of dishonor coming out of our roots where people who, were, who failed or were disgraced in England went and founded our nation. We were founded differently to the way America was founded. American were founded on people who sought religious freedom and to honor God. Whereas our, our nation was founded out of people who, who struggled or, or failed or were rejected in England and moved out into the colonies to try and make a better life and rejected any form of structure and honor in society. And we've got a very egalitarian society, got what's called a tall poppy syndrome. Anyone stands up, everyone knocks them down because they don't want anyone to get higher than them. This is a reaction against the British culture. In the Australian society have a similar kind of thing. Their roots are many of them came out as criminals and were sent out to be imprisoned in the nation. So the, the, the nation's roots often has a big effect on it. So here's, here's the thing then, we can honor someone because of who they are. Your father gave you life. No matter what we think about how he conducted himself, how he's run his life or whatever, or how he's accountable, whatever, there is still every cell in your body has got a bit of your father. You can never walk away from your father. He is in you. And you are like him more than you realize. It's also true of your mother. You can never, never get away from the fact that a half of the DNA in your body has come from your mother so you reject and despise her, you're rejecting and despising yourself. You reject and despise your father, you're rejecting and despising yourself. Why? Because you're rejecting where you came from. They have a unique role in your life. Honor the source and you activate release of blessing in your life. Dishonor the source and you always reap a legacy of problems and conflicts and difficulties. And the idea? So, this principle is built into, into, into life. Honor where you've come from. Honor those who brought life to you. And when doing so, you open up the flow of blessing for yourself. Dishonor them and problems come because literally you're dishonoring yourself. See, if you, you dishonor and despise and be against your father and against your mother because of 
perceived lacks or real lacks or whatever, what happens is you're rejecting a part of who you are. You're trying to actually despise a part of yourself. So it's not surprising that when people who despise their parents end up despising themselves and often end up in really broken and damaged relationships because they don't value themselves. Think about that. Second area we found common in marriage difficulties. One was the issue of dishonoring parents and unresolved conflict with parents. Second was sexual encounters outside of marriage as a result of the first. And the attempt to find something that can't be found that way. And so the relationships keep breaking down because the conflict you didn't resolve there now comes into and becomes a conflict to be resolved in your next relationship. I have been amazed, amazed at how frequently people marry their mother. They kind of find someone just like mum. And, you know, you want to see what the future looks like, go have a look at your girlfriend's mum. Think about it. Because unless, see, unless people leave home with a place of honour on their parents and a place of respect and value for them, they will reap a legacy of their unresolved conflicts. It just flows through life. And there's heaps of scriptures. This one, this is only just one of them. There's one in, let me tell you, in Deuteronomy 27, 16, it says, uh, cursed is the person who treats his father and mother with contempt. How about that? Now, when the Bible talks about cursing, what it means is this. It means that spiritual powers are empowered to operate against you when you dishonor your parents. They have a right to go for you. How about that? And thought of that one. Here's another, here's an, give me another one. In uh, Proverbs 30, verse 70, the eye that mocks his father and despises his mother, it says the ravens of the valley shall pick out the eyes. Well, now let's put it another way. The ravens of the valley are demonic spirits. So what it's saying is this, that when there is despising of your parents, Demonic spirits remove your capacity to see life as it really is. And you live in an illusion about relationships, blinded to what's really going on, unable to see. So that's why people stumble in and out of relationships, unable to make good choices. They can't see clearly. What feels right is actually loaded with potential disaster. It feels right because that's what they're used to. And so often, uh, because, and we'll show you just exactly why in just a moment, uh, there's issues around this that we end up, the thing we walked away from just gets reproduced again, and you've got to tell you resolve it. So life has a way of just reproducing the same issue until you come to get it solved. When you've got it solved, then you can start to bring a change in the future. So change starts with you. Change starts with you. It says uh, in Proverbs 20, verse 20, it says, uh, who curses his father, his lamp shall be put out. Now, to have your lamp put out means spiritual darkness, means, again, you're open and vulnerable to demonic powers. So I have discovered, without exception, that where there's a dishonoring of parents and a despising of them, then what happens is you can't see life clearly, demonic spirits are able to operate against you, there's no umbrella over your life, and there's a reaping of a legacy of what you have sown in the relationship. Whereas the opposite is true, that where there is honor, then there is a covering and a protection. Honor means that I listen, that I respect the counsel and advice, that I open my heart, and I value these people God has put in my life. 
Now, of course, there's obviously some exceptions to that, and I'll try to touch on that at the end. So, so how about that? It's quite an interesting one. You're getting real quiet now, so I know you're thinking deeply. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Are these things all true? I mean, learn it from experience, you know. Okay, now I want to go and have a look at a, at a person in the Old Testament. I look at a story in the Old Testament. Why don't you just come with me and look in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we're going to look at these two people here, 2 Samuel chapter 6. So when someone messes up and causes you pain and grief and whatever, then uh, you need to, you've got a chance, you, you either become bitter or you release grace into it. As simple as that. You've got a choice. Now, we discovered this, these principles here years ago. Now, I remember warning my kids about it. I said, listen, you need to know this. We were walking in the Spirit, building the kingdom of God, establishing the kingdom of God. You know, you rebel and hide and walk out. You're going to get uncovered. You're going to get discovered, even if no one else does. You will be found out. It's just going to happen. And I said, you've got to just learn to respect the boundaries we set there for your protection. I can remember we had a daughter one time, and I said to her, we found out that the boy she's with, we actually weren't too happy about it, and there's a bit of resistance we could feel. And I said, he hasn't got a full license for this car, so you cannot go alone in the vehicle with him. He's got a learner's license. He can drive by himself or with an adult, but he cannot take a passenger without an adult present. So do not get into the car while he's on his own. That's as simple as that. He can't get clearer than that, can you? So anyway, we went away. for had two days down with Joy's parents, having a break for a couple of days. And next thing, I get a phone call, and she's in the hospital. And I thought, oh, my Lord, what has happened? And I thought, we need to run right back straight away. And the Lord spoke and said, it's okay. I protected her. But she's got some things to learn. So uh, what had happened was this. He would uh, wanted to take her out in the vehicle somewhere, and they'd, they'd picked up and they'd borrowed a little gas cooker we had at home uh, with the gas tank. And what I hadn't realized, the last people who used it had left the gas cooker, the switches open. And because uh, one of these European ones, they turned the wrong way. And so I don't know why they did it. They connected it all up. Now, you, you wouldn't normally connect something up like that. You'd carry the two parts separately. They connect up the back of the car. They stopped somewhere just on the side of the road, to, to, and, he, and he could smell a bit of gas. And so he went out to, to check out where the gas was. And would you believe it? She lit up a cigarette. Now, what happened was this. There was an almighty explosion in the car. And all the gas that had been building up just whoosh. She had the window down, and the fireball went through the car, went around in front of her, and out like that. And now, she, the car was burnt to the ground. She don't know how she got out. She got out the window. The amazing thing was, there was a woman in the church praying for her at that, her specifically by name, at that exact moment. And the first person came by within about one minute was a nurse from our church, from the hospital, which is only five, a few minutes down the road. She just grabbed her into the car straight down to the hospital. She was in treatment, and the guy standing watching his car burn to the ground got no idea what's gone on. <laughs> and she was there for quite a while. She had no permanent scars or marks but she got a lesson in life, got a real lesson in life. And in that time, she discovered that he had someone else on the side. He was a no good all along. And so she slapped him out and that was it. It was all over. And we just smiled and said, thank you, Jesus. You know exactly how far to go with this. 
<laughs> she had to learn, learn. Some people learn the hard way. So, so anyway, let's get to the story and then we close up and get to pray for some people. Now, with us, let me give you the background of the story. David, as a young man, has been anointed to be king. And of course, he's become incredibly famous because he slew Goliath and he catches the eye of King Saul who brings him in to play the music for him and gives him a role in the army. And he decides that he's gonna lock this young guy in. So he offers him, uh, he sees the anointing on this young guy, gets jealous and thinks I'm gonna get rid of him. So what he says, listen, you can marry one of my daughters if you, if you go out and kill some of these guys. So Dave goes out and kills them and comes back, but he's already given the daughter away. So he, he really was no good right from the start, that's all. And then one of his other daughters, Michael, loved David. She just thought, he's wonderful, young and handsome and anointed, a great warrior. She fell in love with him. And Saul saw that, so he said, listen, go out and kill 200 Philistines and cut off their private parts and bring them back to me and you can have this daughter. So Dave goes out and does it, comes back with a bag of bits and there it is, you know. <laughs> He's ready to get married. And so they get married and, and this is a beautiful relationship. He loves her and she loves him and they've got this great journey as a young couple. He's the potential king. However, Saul is so jealous that what he does is he decides he's going to kill David. So one night he plans to come in, send his soldiers in and kill David while he's sleeping in the bed. His daughter gets hold of the idea of what's going to happen. She lets him down out of the wall of the house and out he goes. Now you've got to realise that. Now what happens is interesting. Saul is incredibly angry. This is a father that you cannot honour, not easily, because he's abusive and he's violent. This is the same father that yelled at his son and hurled spears to try and kill him. Now he's driven out his daughter's husband and made him a criminal. There's a shoot on sight order out on David. Kill him. Now you can imagine what David felt having saved this guy and saved his skin and saved the nation. And now he's an outlaw. Terrible injustice, terrible grief over this. But he does worse than that. He takes his own daughter and then gives her to another man. She's still married to David. He said, David's dead to me and just gives her. Now she loves David. She's in love with him. And he forces her into a marriage to a man who's, who, whose name literally means something like uh, uh, um, to cause to escape. Or in other words, he just found some, some guy whose name means to cause to escape and just makes his daughter marry her. So every time she pronounces his name, she'd be reminded of why she's married to this guy and why she has to sleep with him every night instead of a husband and why a husband is on the most wanted list. His name meant he shall cause to escape. So she's reminded the reason she's in this mess is because she's totally uh, uh, been disapproved of by her father. And so she has to live with this man every day, hoping a husband will come back to her. Can you imagine what that's like living with someone you don't love, you're forced into the marriage, he reminds you, he's a reminder that your father has totally rejected you, totally despised you, and she's hoping day by day that her husband will come and get her back. And the days go by and go by and go by and he doesn't come for her. And she has to make a decision. How will she respond to this terrible way she's been treated. She's literally been abused by her father and apparently abandoned by her husband. 
and left in a, in a marriage that she's very unhappy and very angry about. When David comes back into his place of kingship, the first thing he does on the agenda is to get his wife and bring her back. And we're going to look at the moment of what happens just shortly. Now for David, David's gone out in the wilderness and now he's a wanted man. He's tried to do his best to just be of help. And he's been now totally abused by the father-in-law. He's been hunted down. He lives in, in danger. Everyone he loves is in danger of being killed. He goes stay with some people. Saul kills him. Imagine what that feels like, that everyone that's even your friend, you go near them, this father-in-law that's crazy is going to kill him. Now this is a tragic situation for two. And not only that, every time he lies down in a cave at night with, surrounded by a band of, of half-wits and broken-down men, He's thinking of his wife sleeping in a bed in a palace with some other man. So you understand that for both of them, there's immense emotional pain all caused by the same man, Saul. Now, when abusive things happen, when dishonorable things happen, when we're treated unjustly and wrongly, we have to make a choice how we'll respond. And our choices determine whether we come into promotion by God or whether demonic powers seize our life and our life goes down a very bad track. Now, when you look at how they responded, you'll get to see what's happened. You're going to see it just a moment as we read this passage. David never lost his honor for who Saul was. When he had his chance to kill him, he refused to kill him. Twice, people said, hey, God's delivered your enemy to your hands. Why don't you just take him out now? You know you're going to be king anyway. Why drag this thing out? Put him out of his misery. Put yourself out of your misery. Get into the throne now. Come on, take this matter into your own hands. That's twice he had that opportunity. Twice he said, no, I won't do this. I honor God who's my promoter and I definitely won't come against Saul. That's hard to understand, but that's a man who understands honor. This is a man whose own parents dishonored him so much that when the prophet came, they left him out in the field. They didn't even think he's worthwhile considering for a potential king. He's had every reason to have honor issues with his parents and now with his father-in-law, but he's a man of honor. And when you're a man of honor, woman of honor, God will honor you and people will honor you too. So now what's happened, and we'll read the story in just a moment, what happens now is God has finally, as he always does, got both of them to where they're supposed to be. David has now come up to king. God has sorted the problem out. God, David promoted. He's now the king. He's now leader over the nation. And his first priority, restore my wife. And then the next priority is, let's get the ark back into the city. Let's bring the presence of God back. Let's have a national day of holiday. So anyway, he goes out there, sets up a national day for everyone to bring the ark back into the city. And he's thinking, man, this is fantastic, great. And he's out there and he's dancing and worshipping and the ark gets a bit wobbly and someone touches it. Next thing, ba and he's dead on the ground. And suddenly David's publicly humiliated by God. He goes away very angry, the Bible says. But he's a man of honor and he finds his way back, what God wants. Finds the right way to do it. Now it comes to where we are now. And let's have a look at this. Now, remember when I was sharing this morning that when you look at people's countenance and hear what they say and how they behave, you can know what's in their heart. And you see if you can figure what's in Michael's heart. It says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. He's wearing a little ephod. Now, he wasn't wearing the king's garments now. He's just wearing some things the priest would wear. And he's out 
dancing and whirling. He's absolutely unashamed. He's just excited over God. He's out there, oh, you know, just, he's just going for it, having a great old time dancing. They've got trumpeters trumpeting. The music's going. It is loud and noisy. Thousands of people are out. They're offering sacrifices every few steps. It's an awesome time. Look at it. Brought up the house of uh, the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. So they've got a trumpets blasting. This is a party and it is wild and he's at the front leading it all. Now, so that's David. Now as the ark came into the city of David, Michael, now notice what she's called. She's not called David's wife anymore. She calls Saul's daughter. She's not identified with the man of God. She's identified with the man of the flesh. And you'll see why in a moment. It says, she looked through the window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. That's leaping and whirling. Have you done some leaping and whirling, Pastor? I've leaped but not whirled. Well, that'd be great. You could whirl tonight if you like, you know, whirl around, you know. You haven't got a linen ephod on, but you know, you could try the whirl. But don't do it too much. You might get giddy and fall over, you know. <laughs> but he's leaping and he's whirling around, just having a great old time. And she looks through the window. Now, here's the first thing you notice is she's looking through the window. She's not participating in the greatest celebration and the greatest movement of God in Israel's history. Here's the first thing. You're going to see why in a moment. Then the second thing you notice is she despised him in her heart. This man she once loved, now she despises. Why does she despise him? Because there is bitterness in her heart against her father Bitterness in her heart against her, her, her husband. They go, they go hand in hand. And now the result of that is the dishonoring. She looked down on him and despised him. And when people start despising in their heart, it won't be long before it comes out of their mouth. And so let's have a look here. And uh, it said, so they bought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place that David had erected for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. When he finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He distributes. That's a great day. Man, they gave out. You know, when God is moving, his generosity abounds. You know, generosity always comes when there's a spirit of freedom around. And he distributed among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat and cake and so on. And everyone departed his house. So it was a great time of rejoicing. They gave out gifts, free food for everyone. Everyone is going to celebrate today. And David returned to bless his household. So he come back, he want to bless his household. When he gets back, his, his wife, look here it is. And Michael, the daughter of Saul. There it is again, daughter of Saul. Previously, he, she was called David's wife. Now she's identified not with the man of the spirit, but the man of the flesh, Saul's daughter, you're behaving just like your father. You've got the same attitudes as your father. Dishonor, despising, bitterness, insecurity. You have become just like your father, who also despised David and then sought to kill him. And she didn't try and kill him with, with, a, with a spear, but look what she says. How glorious is the king of Israel today uncovering himself in the eyes of the young woman and the servants, like someone just out of the pub shamelessly uncovers himself. Scathing, sharp, bitter, cutting, murderous words. She's just like her daddy. See, she didn't realize that you have a choice when you've been treated badly to bless, forgive, and honor, yes. or to become Wounded, resentful, angry, and bitter, and dishonor. 
And notice, when you dishonor someone in your heart, then you'll justify yourself why it's okay to treat them in a certain way and to speak about them in a certain way. So when you hear someone treating badly, speaking badly about someone, behaving badly towards someone, you know that in the heart there's dishonor. They have already despised, judged, and dishonored them. And David, I like David's reply. Whoa! You don't worry about what she's got to say. There's nothing that's going to take away his joy. I mean, she's the ultimate wet blanket. <laughs> she gave him the look. And then, you know, that look, and you, <laughs> most guys, they're gone when they get the look, you know, that's it. She not only gave him the look, she gave him the tongue as well. That tongue can cut a six man, foot man down like that, across a room. But anyway, she gave him, this is what he said. Ho, ho, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all the house for me ruler. Therefore, I will play music to the Lord. He said, I'll be even more vile than this. Or in other words, he's saying, you thought that was something? Man, I'm going to get wilder yet. That's the way to treat wet blankets. Someone tries to kill that party spirit and you're having fun and having a ball and they wet blanket you. Man, there's a lot of wet blankets among Christians. Really, yeah, yeah that's true. Should be the most joyful people of all. You're the Holy Ghost inside us. This is this wet blanket thing. It's the look, the scowl, the disapproval. You can feel the air become tense. And that's what happens. Jesus experienced that everywhere he went. It's the same people that read the Bible, believed in the Savior, and he come and they just kill him. <laughs> he said, listen, I'm even more vile than this. He said, you dishonor me, but even these people you're talking about, they'll honor me. Now notice what it tells here. Therefore, meaning because of this hard attitude, she had no children to the day of her death. Now, for a woman to have no children was a huge dishonor. Literally, there was an impact in her body from the bitterness in her heart. She was unable to produce fruit. When there's bitterness and dishonor, you will find both sickness comes, uh, areas where there's bondage in your life, and certainly there'll be an impact go on. There's a suggestion in a scripture a little bit later that she was given someone else's children to look after her, and all of them ultimately ended up being hanged. So what she did have, she lost too. She ended her life without love, without honor, without children, without anything. And she came under abuse from the same man that David did. But David responded with grace and honor, and she responded with dishonor and bitterness. And it blew up her marriage, it blew up her future, it blew up her ability to enjoy God. She could not enter into the things of God. Revival came, she was not part of it. She was an onlooker to it and despising and judging it. She could not participate in anything. She literally became sidelined. Remember what it said, honor your father and mother that it may go well for you, may live long. She dishonored and life did not go well for her. David chose honor and in turn you find him as a man of honor. So one of the things I have, we've realized over many years is the need to come to grips with dealing with issues in the heart related to a father, related to a mother. Your parents probably tried the best they could, but one of the things that I found that the Lord helped me with, he said, 
they also carry their legacy of bondage. They carry their legacy uh, in their life of the areas that they struggle with in their generation. My father, I always felt very disconnected from my father. In fact, all of us as sons, three sons, were all disconnected from our dad. And it created a huge amount of pain. Not because he was a bad, he was a good person and worked hard and served it the best he could. But he'd been through the war. And four and a half years of war traumatized him. He had grown up in a family where his own father committed adultery and we'd had to go to court in those days, everything like that was a marriage breakup. It went to court, would you believe, and got in the papers. He had to go and appear in court over the whole thing with his father. He was affected deeply in the relational area by these things. And so there were some limits in how he could operate. There were some limits. I never at one time in my life heard him ever say to me words, I love you. Whenever anything happened, uh, he would always find I could have done it better. So it, it became a source of huge grief and pain, and it caused bitterness in my own heart until God said to me, you need to address it. You need to deal with what's in your heart. It will reproduce right through your life and everything you touch. And he said, you need to release forgiveness and start to bless and so in the last years of my dad's life, they were much different in my connection with him than it was in earlier seasons of my life because I dealt with judgments in the heart. I dealt with the grief and pain of longing for relationship and approval and not getting it and was able to come into a different kind of relationship. He just did what he could. The Lord helped me to see it visually. He showed me just a picture of a person with a broken leg and he said, would you tell that person to run? I said, no, no, he can't run, Lord. He's got a broken leg. He said, you reckon he can't run? I said, that's right. He said, well, there's areas in your life your own father can't run either in the emotional area. He's got limits on him because he's broken. So stop trying to get him to run. Stop trying to put expectations on him to do something he can't do. Receive him as he is and just give honor and value to him. And so as Dad got to his latter years, we were able to place value and honor on him and to connect with him, to relate with him, to honor him and his birthday, we were able to do things that I had never done in earlier stage of my life. But it all starts with the heart and understanding that in order to honor others, you need to resolve any issues you've got. So that may mean that there's a need to go and put things right. Now, I know that there are some families it's just horrendous what has happened. Not all families are like that. Some people just try to do the best they could. But wherever there's a conflict, the first thing to do is to look in your own heart and say, God, have I been dishonoring? Have I been despising? Have I kept my parents at distance? Have I got judgments in my heart? If I have, Lord, tonight I want to resolve those judgments, repent of the judgments, and forgive and release and start to bless. For quite some period after that, when God had shown me these things, every day when I would rise, I would stand up, I begin to pray in tongues and I begin to see my father, imagine him, put my arms around to hug him and bless him and thank God for him and move from death to life. Then I would stand against the spirits that had tormented me and declare my victory over them. And then I would turn to the Lord as my father and reach out to him and meditate that he's my lover, my friend. I don't feel anything much for quite some time. Then one day I suddenly had a breakthrough. One day I suddenly felt the whole spirit world around me shift and I encountered the Lord and just wept and wept and wept as I felt his love just flowing into me 
and experienced him as a friend for the first time in my life. It came after removing the bitterness and judgments in my heart I was able to receive. Before, I couldn't receive. And once I dealt with that, I was able to receive. So I don't know where you're at tonight. It may well be that uh, you have issues in your heart that you need to resolve. I would encourage you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and let him show you if there's anger, grief, disappointment, bitterness, and if there are judgments towards a father or towards a mother. And just in a moment of time, put it right before God. We'll have an opportunity to minister and pray for people. Some may have been abandoned. There may be some have been adopted out. Some have been in abusive families and whatever kind of, there's all kinds of manners of things. We can't solve it all, but it starts with you moving in your heart and saying, God, I want my heart restored so I don't carry the baggage, the, the pain, the bitterness, the reactions. Let me come to a place of being able to honor. You may have a parent that's dead and you think, well, I can never do that. Well, sometimes people just gone to graveside and they've just stood there and said the words they needed to say and come to a place of peace. There are lots of ways you can do it. Some people I've just encouraged, write something down, write a letter you never send and say what you value and appreciate, even if there's only one or two things, and then say the things that are in your heart that are painful and how he's treated you or what's happened and, and this release forgiveness. Get it out of your system. Then make a decision to just bless where you've come from. For some, it may mean you've got to go and put it right. But if you're going to put it right, put it right here before you try to put it right out there. Always get it right. If you've got anger in your heart and you go and try to put something right, you're going to create more anger. And for some, that's just not the right thing to do because it's such hostility and you'd face more abuse. So you've got to figure out and let God show you what is required to be done. But it does start with your heart, that in your heart you're free from bitterness, offense, grief, and the reactions of judgments. You say, God, tonight I want to be free. Tonight I choose grace over bitterness. I choose honor over dishonor. I choose to bless and release. For some it may mean a later time you may go and say, I know that I've dishonored you and I've caused you immense grief. I am so sorry. God has been speaking to me. Please forgive me. I remember doing that. Uh, when God spoke to me about this issue, I remember going to my boss at work and I, I said, can I have an appointment to see you? It only take about five minutes. And I went to him. I was teaching in a high school and I said, God has been speaking to me about my attitude. And I realized that because I've disrespected my father, I've also disrespected you in this way and this way. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? I will do the very best I can to honor you and to really do what I can to be uh, greater in, the, in that area. I, I was astonished. He, he just sat there astonished. But I just, God said, put it right. Just put it right. Say you're sorry. Apologize. Put it right. And uh, within two years, that man promoted me. He just made room for me, and my life was a blessed life in that school after that. But I had to deal with an issue with authority that came about because of an issue with my father. So why don't we just close our eyes for a moment, just have a little we think about this. Just open up. Holy Spirit, you're here tonight. I know you're talking to us, and I know this is part of an overall weekend and a movement in this church to just open up people's lives to freedom. So right now, Father, I ask that you just speak. Just while we just sit quietly for a moment, uh, why don't you just ask this question? Holy Spirit, show me if there's dishonor, despising, resentment, judgment, or bitterness against my father. 
And Lord, give me grace now to put this matter right. Lord, show me if there's been a despising, resenting, judging, dishonor towards my mother. Show me if I've harbored things in my heart which grieve you, Holy Spirit. And as God makes you aware of it, just purpose in your heart, I'm just going to repent of that. I'm going to ask God's forgiveness. And I'm going to deal with the bitter roots. Tonight I'll come forward purposing in my heart I will be a person of honor. Maybe for some of you already parents and you realize that you've just, the things that you didn't resolve with your parents, you've brought on your children. Maybe harshness, legalism. It may be uh, just you've neglected them or been too busy in work for them. Uh, all kinds of things. God can show you exactly what it is. It's okay to go and say, God's speaking to me. I am so sorry. I have done this or failed to do this, and it must have really hurt you. People always recognize a repentant heart, and God blesses it. Pastor? Shortly, we're going to just have an altered call, an opportunity for people to come forward about what I've shared on tonight. But there may be some other issue that you say, God, oh, God's been speaking to me. I want to get help on tonight. It'd be fine to come up. We just want to be free to pray for you.